Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Why don't you give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. And the area code here in Baton Rouge is 225. And you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. Go. We sure wish you would. We always enjoy hearing from folks all around town, all around the country. Even all around the world. There you go. Wherever just, you may be. Just got to get the right time that's set right. up even intergalactic if you got a <laughs> got a sat phone i guess there you go <laughs> happen to be on a space shuttle or <laughs> space station there you go we get a lot of our ideas for shows and stuff from the email right we receive constantly and last two shows were pre-recorded but just before that i'd gotten an email from a gentleman yeah and he was interested in the, the power that the new cars are making mm-hmm. versus the old vehicles relative when, to engine size right when you wanted a high-powered vehicle you got a v8 right well nowadays the six cylinders and the four cylinders are building just as much power Mm -hmm. and he was wanting to know you know how is that possible well that and is it in his best interest for instance will a small engine producing a huge amount of power like a four cylinder that puts out 250 horsepower what's the longevity of that engine compared to a larger engine which is not working as hard Mm -hmm. i thought it was a really good question and i told we would discuss it somewhat and the ultimate answer, I guess, is that, like everything else, it's going to depend on the way the vehicle is operating. Right. For instance, if you have a grocery getter, for lack of a better term, you know, this is a car that you're going to run your errands in, maybe go on vacation in, put around in, go here, go there, go to all the places that you want to go. But it's not something where you're going to be towing anything with it. You're not going to be using it for a high-performance vehicle. A good example would be my wife's little Camry that I just bought. Okay. That is a car we bought to drive back and forth to New Orleans to go to the grocery store, take vacations, go the place we want to go. But when I'm on vacation, I've probably got my cruise control set on 70 or 68 miles an hour. Probably most of the time. Yeah, most of the time. I am far more interested in fuel mileage and all that than I am really making a whole lot of horsepower, really running the car hard. Mm Mm-hmm. So, for me, a four-cylinder engine is a very logical choice. Sure. Now, but there again, you don't want to go towing a 10,000-pound trailer with it. Absolutely. Or really any kind of high-performance driving. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if, if you – let's say you're an aggressive driver, and I'm not, I don't mean that necessarily in a bad term, but if you're the kind of person who likes to mash the gas and have the car really go and, sure. and you prefer driving that way, then that may not be quite as good a choice for you. Because the way they do make that kind of horsepower with the smaller engines these days is, among another, other things, a lot of them are turbocharged. Right. Now, what a turbocharger is doing, the exhaust is spinning a little mechanism that is pumping air into the engine. Now, when you force more air into the engine, you can add more fuel because the mixture has to remain 14.71. Correct. The more air you put in, the more fuel you can put in, the more so violent... That- the explosion is going to be, which is going to drive the piston down harder, which is going to make more power. Correct. And that's all the basic formula that they've had forever and ever and ever. But with an engine with a turbo, you have a lot more complicity Mm -hmm. with that engine versus a V8 making that same power. Oh, absolutely. I remember when I was a kid and I used to race cars, and they said the only thing better than cubic inches is cubic money. Mm -hmm. And a bigger engine is not going to work nearly as hard to produce the same amount of power. Correct. So that can be a distinct advantage if you want a high-performance car or you want to tow a heavy weight with it. You would not want a four-cylinder or a six-cylinder that you're using under those conditions. 
because even though it's maybe producing 250 to 300 horsepower, same as that V8, the torque curve and all is going to be considerably different. Right. And the amount of labor that engine is doing, it comes down to a factor we call duty cycle. And that is this can produce 300 horsepower, but not 100% of the time. The duty cycle on that engine is going to be much, much lower because it is straining so hard to do it. And it's just running pretty much at maximum efficiency to do this. Whereas a larger V8 type engine is, is running at maybe 50% sure of its capacity to produce the same power and so it just depends a lot on the way you're going to drive the car now if you want fuel mileage again a smaller engine sure is going to be the way to go now with this small engine and i guess i should say with the turbocharger other things come into play when you are spinning this mechanism 10,000 rpm the lubrication requirements for that engine are different from say a v8 engine that's doing the same thing most of those are going to require a synthetic oil they're not going to request it or advise it it requires a synthetic oil all changes are also much more critical even though that's not necessarily reflected in in their maintenance schedule right with the maintenance schedules as we've said a million times they are blue sky way out there estimates for the most part they Ask the engineer, what is the longest we can possibly go between all changes? And, of course, his first question is, how long, do you how long the is the engine going to have to last? Right. Well, 100,000 miles. Okay, well, we got to push it out this far. Right. What's the load on the engine? Well, it's going to be average of this. Okay, you can push it out this far. Now, if you change any of those factors, for instance, if you say, okay, the load on this engine is going to be 75%, 75% of the time. Well, now, that requirement comes way, way down. Or if you say, you know, I need this car to last 250,000 miles. Well, that rating is going to be cut by a factor of three. Because as you push this out further and further, you're picking up other complications. With a turbocharger, the oil is going to run hotter because it's cooling that turbo. It's being strained a whole lot more. And even if the oil can hold up, the additives normally cannot. Right. So... If you're going to have that kind of car and you're going to use it, you need to look at the maintenance schedule and go to the severe service schedule. Nobody ever thinks they're severe service. Right. But if you look at the schedule, normal is actually ideal. And severe, severe is, is really pretty much right. normal for, for the way well, most we, people drive. But everybody considers the way they drive as normal. normal. Right. And that's just human nature. But let's say making very short trips, you're just putting around town and your average trip is three to five miles. That's severe service. Sure. That is not normal service as the engineers see it. Same thing if you are down on that accelerator 75%, 75% of the time, that is not normal service. That is heavy-duty so, or extreme service. Correct. So if you're going to buy one of these little rockets, that small engine with the high, high output, you got to remember it is straining a whole lot more to produce that. Some of the power gains have come from direct injection where sure. they can time the fuel to the other events. But you get more complications from that. Far more complications. They have the variable cam timing. Now they can time the cam to the event. So they are making more horsepower by a, being able to time a lot more things. At one point, way back, about the only thing you could time was ignition timing. Sure. You could turn the distributor and set ignition timing. And that was it. Well, as a advanced on they came up with variable weights that could sling that out and vary that timing to advance it more as load increase they came out with vacuum sure. devices that could cut it down at an idle but cut it up at acceleration 
and on and on and on. They made the timing far more adjustable or more adaptable to the engine. And when they did, it made more power. Well, the next thing they started to come in, they said, well, if we could get the cam to change its timing. And at first, that was a mechanical setup with a little spring in the sprocket that would kind of delay and retard the timing as you went faster and all that. But now they've got electronics, so they can go in and they can vary the cam timing to the event. In other words, if you want to make more power, you can advance this, you can retard this, you can hold this open, so so on and so forth as that. Now, the next thing they're coming out with direct injection. And a lot of people don't realize the way direct injection works as opposed to conventional injection. Conventional injection fires on, for actually, a certain amount of time, but it's firing into the port right, on, top on top of, of the, the valve. valve. When the valve opens, the valve controls the fuel event. Sure. It pulls the, the mixture in and then closes. And under high load, that fuel injector may be firing 360 degrees. It may be stuck steady wide stream. open. It's a steady right. stream of fuel going into that port because it requires that much to get the fuel into the cylinder. It doesn't enter the cylinder until the valve opens. And then it sucks in the amount that it needs, and then it closes and compresses it and on and on. With direct injection, it's spraying this fuel directly into the combustion chamber. So the advantage there is it does not have to stay open nearly as, as long. long. It can spray it exactly when it wants. It can also do a multiple spray if it wants. If it wants to change the temperature in the combustion chamber like they used to do with egr mm-hmm. now i can just give it an extra squirt of gas cool that chamber down it can also anticipate wide open throttle so it can fire the injector while the exhaust valve is still open spin the turbo up so you don't have that turbo lag right that is the big advantage over the turbos of today rather than the the, the turbos <laughs> first came out yeah they always had what they call turbo lag and that was you'd hit the pedal wide open and there it was would a, a slight bog, bog, yeah. Because the exhaust had to start flowing up to spin that turbo up to start pushing the extra air in to make the power. Right. And with direct injection, what they can do, they can anticipate that. They see that pedal going down before it even nearly gets wide open. They just hold the exhaust valve open slightly longer, fire the injector slightly later in the thing. So this burning mass of fuel goes out the exhaust, spins that turbo up instantly, and it can produce not only more horsepower, but But a lot quicker horsepower. So these are some of the ways that they're getting so much power out of the newer engines. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot more. We'll get right back from this first break. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. I get your kicks on Route 66. Gotta run, Paul. I'm heading to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it in once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems early. And they remind me of important upcoming maintenance. Things like oil changes, changing my timing belt, tire wear. Yeah, a general inspection each year would be a great thing for my marriage. Paul, thanks for bringing Marie in for her general inspection. Overall, she's in great shape. I did dial back her shopping system to save you a little money, and her nag button was stuck, so I loosened that up so you can work on your golf game and not those honeydews. As far as preventive maintenance, you've got a big anniversary coming up in April, so put that on your calendar, and I'd suggest flowers for no reason and more compliments. And Agco saved me thousands of dollars. Paul? Paul, are you listening? Oh, oh, yeah, sorry. Sounds like I need to take Marie. (laughs) me my car into agco for a general inspection keep your car on the road longer schedule your general inspection today at agco automotive agco it's the place to go 
Hey, welcome back. This is Jonas. This is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersland, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Twin Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Why don't you give us a call? Our number is 291-6901, and we would love to hear from you. Carl, our producer, mm-hmm. brought up a good point during the break. Right. We were talking, and he says he has a Nissan pickup with a V6 in it, and he was noticing, like the Titan pickup with the V8, gets about the same fuel mileage. Sure. And that's one thing that you will notice is that you won't get a tremendous amount better fuel mileage generally with a V6. If you're really concerned with fuel mileage, it's best to go with a four-cylinder. Sure. The V6 is kind of somewhere in between. It doesn't make as much horsepower as V8, but it's not going to get the mileage of a a four-cylinder either. And it's because it has to work harder to do the same amount of work. And to get the power out of that V6, they gear it down generally lower hold it in the gears longer so the fuel mileage may not be nearly as good so it's kind of one of those things that i bought a v6 when i bought my pickup but it's because i wanted the v6 gm engine right just my experience is that v6 engine is a better engine than the v8 cbl well and for what you're using it for it's perfect right. i mean you're running up and down the highway in it unloaded just using it for transportation that's right i'm not towing where anything right whereas i've got a crew cab with the v8 with the 5.3 in it right and I do a lot of towing with it. That's right. And they get about the same amount of mileage between the two of they them. They do. They do. The mileage is not the reason why I selected that particular vehicle. As opposed to the Camry, the mileage was the sole reason Sure, I selected that exact vehicle. And you can notice we went up to Gatlinburg last week, and I was monitoring my fuel mileage pretty closely. And on the flat ground, and there's, when I'm b- below say gadsden alabama yeah you own pretty flat flat yeah, reasonably and i was averaging about 44 miles to the gallon but outside of birmingham when i started getting into foothills when i got between birmingham and chattanooga my mileage dropped to about 41 miles to the gallon right and at first i was a little bit confused but then i started watching the tachometer and, and the this RPMs thing is downshifting were... quite a bit more right my rpm in the flat country was somewhere around 1600 at 70 miles an hour whereas it's jumping up to 2500 very to, frequently to still maintain the to 70, maintain miles, 70 an miles an hour now to the driver with that hb transmission or 10 speed whatever yeah, it is you, you don't know it you don't really notice it unless you look at the yeah, tachometer just, because it shifts i guess so smoothly and so quietly that you just don't really notice it but if you watch the tachometer you can see the difference right and again it's the same thing more load takes more fuel mm-hmm. there's fuel gasoline is energy and it requires a certain amount of energy to move a certain amount of weight a certain speed over a certain distance it's not unlike if you're on your bicycle if you're just cruising along on flat ground it requires a certain amount of energy start going going up up a hill hill. and you'll notice it takes a whole lot more energy to maintain the same speed going uphill again energy is gasoline Mm -hmm. in the case of a car so you're going to burn more gasoline and again, the more the engine is working, the harder it's working. The more fuel it's going to use. The more it's going to use. I guess it would be like me riding a bicycle compared to some bike riding from Tour de France with sure. legs that big around. <laughs> he doesn't have to strain at all to go up this hill, whereas I'm working my behind all right. to do the same thing he's doing. Let's take a phone call. We've got Sammy online. Good morning, Sammy. How you doing this morning? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I've got an 03 F-150. Mm-hmm. Uh, V6 automatic. I, a couple of days ago, or yesterday, I think it was, and then today, I get in and crank it up, and I notice a series of beeps coming down from 
I can't really pinpoint where it's from, but it sounds like it's coming from like a down by my left foot. Okay. I have no engine light or anything like that, but it's a series of beats that comes on. It beats five one-second beats, then it's silent for two seconds, five more consecutive one-second beats. It does this five times, and then it stops. you have any idea? What yeah, that's that some sort of a code. It's yeah. a code 55. You have no lights on at all on your dash? Right. No no lights come on at all on the dash. No, hmm. They all work because, you know, when you first crank Yeah, when you turn to light. on, they all light up? Correct. I would have to look that up, Sammy. I'm not familiar with it, but it's a code 55 in one of the modules. The only way to know for certain will be to scan it. Uh, you know, we've got a forward scan tool, and we can go in and scan it and find out which module is holding a code. You see, your power control module is going to set a check engine light. And right. with the transmission module, generally it's going to flash the overdrive light or something like that. Airbag has an airbag light. But you have other things like a chassis control module and a body control module which don't have a light. So they they can't set a light because they don't have one. I would assume it's one of those modules. In a Ford, you also have a general electronics module. And I know on the F-150s, we've seen a lot of problems with what they call the intelligent fuse box module. Which, it's a fuse module with like a computer in it. Right, it's a fuse block. Okay. And, the, and they give a lot of problems. Now, if you look hard enough, you'll probably find something that's not working or not working the way that it should. Maybe something that you're not noticing right off. You know, it could be something like the rear window defogger's you know, not working. You said something that just hit me. Mm-hmm. My airbag light has been on for, I don't know, for quite a while. Well, there you go. And it could I be that. I didn't pay any attention to it because, you know, I mean, they didn't have to have it to get inspected. And, right, right, right. It's but, probably I mean, something to do with that. It may have de- degraded. You know, the, the original problem that was set wasn't something, but it, it may have degraded and gotten worse over time. That light is not coming on anymore. My air, my airbag and light it is, is not. Yeah, well, the module may have failed or something, and now it's trying to it's audibly warn you. Yeah, yeah running a tone. Is that something I need to get taken care of? Well, only if you want airbags. I mean, so well, long as you're using your seatbelt, you're relatively safe. I would like yeah. to know what it is. I would probably want to know what it is just yeah. in case it's something simple. And it can be a seatbelt buckle, which is not that expensive to fix. So okay. airbags are a nice feature to have, but I wouldn't spend three thousand dollars to fix it, you know. But I mean, if you can fix it for a couple hundred bucks, it may be worth it. Well, I'm going to make an appointment and get it brought in there just to see if make sure that's. What yeah, we can is. scan it, and I mean, it won't take very long for me to tell you, hey, this is something real expensive, or this is something fairly inexpensive. And if you elect not to fix it, well, just wear your seatbelt and right. drive careful. I mean, it's just you won't have airbag like cars didn't have for a million years before they came out with <laughs> right. all that. So. <laughs> Exactly. They didn't have seatbelts a lot of times. That's right. They didn't have anything for a long time. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate you guys showing you. I'll do an excellent job. Okay, Thank Sammy. You. Thanks for calling, man. All right. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd absolutely love to have you. You know, most of them Ford modules, they usually don't give a tone out. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, in this case. I guess some do. Some do, yeah. And, again, this could have started out with one Something. problem and it degraded down to a second problem. Right. And maybe it generates tone. I'd have to go to service data. There are so many little things like that that people have in their cars they're not aware of that the engineer built in. Sure. And it was under this circumstance, do this. And under this circumstance, do this. Right. And you don't realize it's there until it Unless fails. Or... two or three circumstances occur, then it does something different than <laughs> you've ever seen. And that's when you're going to take note of it. Right. As long as it's doing the same things it's always done, you're not very likely to notice it. But, yeah, when, when something like that happens, that's when. Yeah. I'd like to know what it is. Yeah. Let's go back to our phone lines with Bruce. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing, doing great, great, sir. 
uh, yesterday or day before on the news, I heard about a recall on the Ford pickups. Uh, yeah. Uh, something about a seatbelt causing a fire. Yeah, I, I vaguely caught the end of that article, but it was something about a seatbelt would spark or something and maybe cause a fire. Maybe a pretensioner. Ford is supposed to take care of it. I mean, call them and, and make sure your vehicle is under the... Yeah, the warranty, make sure yours is under they're that. They're supposed to take yeah. care of it. I know they had a tremendous amount of problem with the Crown Vicks and the Marquis the Mar- and right. the town cars where the pretensioner would go out. A pretensioner is a little charge, almost like a shotgun shell, inside of a seat belt. And you know how they pull in and pull out? Well, when the bag deploys, this thing fires a charge and drives a pin through it, which locks it. And, and jerks it back to tighten it on you. And I know they've had a lot, a lot of trouble with those. I don't know if this is related to that or not, but I know we change those all the time. You know, airbag oh. light comes on and that fails. Yeah. I would assume it's something to do with that. All right. I was just wondering, because uh, why don't uh, you hear about this before you buy one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. I know, right? <laughs> all right. Thank you. All right, man. Thank you. All right, 291-6901 is the number. we got to take a quick little break. We'll see if we can catch Jim before the break. Good morning, Jim. Yes, I have a question. I have a new Tahoe with the eight-cylinder that goes to four-cylinders. Yes, sir. Yes, does sir. it go to the same four-cylinders every time? It will, does. Will those four-cylinders wear out quicker? No. it. What it does, Jim, there's a lifter in there that can collapse. It can collapse under command, and it applies all pressure to it or bleeds the all pressure off of the lifters. They collapse, and so it just doesn't open those two valves. So and, and the it computer, cuts the injector right. off at the, you know, it cuts the injector and the spark off in the computer. So, so it's just a dead hole. It's just a dead hole. And what it's doing, it requires a certain amount of energy to push that piston up because it's still compressing the flare. But since it's not exhausting it, the same pressure pushes it back down. So it's a net sum loss. You don't lose anything, but you gain the extra fuel mileage and not running those four cylinders. That system is pretty good. It holds up pretty well unless you follow their recommendations for all changes. And then we have seen a lot of failures. A lot of failures. People who push their all changes too far usually have trouble with that. And that is normally about a $2,500 to $3,000 repair when it goes out, and change most, those lifters. Most people that have that option on the vehicle don't even know it's there. Don't even know it's there. Until it fails. So I would just ignore whatever GM told you as far as all changes go and use a more reasonable all change schedule, and you probably not have much trouble and with it. And use the correct viscosity oil. The right oil in it, yes. Thank you. All right, You're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, we've got to take our second quick little break. Be right back with a whole lot more. shop tomorrow. I'm off to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems before they become huge repairs down the road. You know, things like small rattles and shakes can become issues and you never can be too... The general inspection each year would be great for my marriage. Kate, thanks for bringing David in for his general inspection. Overall, he's in pretty good shape for an older model. I replaced his sensitivity regulator, which was getting a little worn. His not listening to my partner and leave the seat up lights were both about to come on, so I fixed that. As far as preventive maintenance, more fiber, less beer, and watch his portion control, especially on the weekends. And thank goodness for Agco. Kate? Kate, are you listening? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Sounds like a general inspection from Agco can improve my marriage. I I mean, vehicle. 
uh, improve my vehicle. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Loud noise off the river to ride. Don't mind it because the man with the whiskers has a lot behind it. But I can't Hey, keep welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alpazan, with Mr. Brian Carey. Hey, three tools, we try to answer any automotive questions you may have. We certainly appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And Mr. Bruce had called about the Ford in uh, uh, recall. Right. And Carl was nice enough to go during the break and look it up on the internet and it is certain Ford trucks it's not all of them apparently the ones built at the clay Coco, clay como assembly plant or dearborn plant and it's only some of it's about two million right and i know ford makes a whole lot more trucks than that so yeah, it's not going to be all of them but it is the pretensioner on the seat belt it can produce a spark which can set the carpet on fire gotcha under certain conditions and while it's probably not likely this is going to happen. It is possible it could happen. So then out of an abundance of caution, there's a recall, and yeah, 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 yeah. But if you simply call the Ford dealer, they'll tell you by your VIN number if your car, if your truck is under this particular And then they can make arrangements action. if it is to, yeah. to get it in and, and get the new parts put on it. And a lot of times we get people who will ask, well, why did I receive a letter? Because what they do, the first person who bought the vehicle – is going to get a notice at the address they had on file when the truck was sold. Correct. Now, that means if you bought the truck used, even if it's only got a 1,000 miles on it, when you buy it, it's going to the original owner. And if you've changed addresses, you're probably not going to get it beyond the normal postal forwarding of the post office. Mm -hmm. If you change addresses in the last six months, you're probably going to get notice. If you changed it two years ago, you're probably not going to get it. Right. So that's why they also go to the media. And what is also very convenient, if you want to go to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Their website. They have a website, and you can type in your VIN number into that website, and it will give you any open recalls on your vehicle. Right. And that's updated real, real regular. So just... It's a good resource. It's a good resource. I know I've got loaded on my desktop at the shop, and when someone asks me about one, I get their VIN yeah. number and I paste well, it in there. We keep them out there on our desktops out in the shop, so mm-hmm. when we do a general inspection, we always check. We that. can check that and make sure there's no open recalls that need to be taken care right. of. Right. Part of our general inspection, we check for open recalls on the vehicle, particularly those that are dangerous sure. or safety-related or very expensive that you want to get done. You know, some are not necessarily dangerous, but it's sort of like Toyota had the problem with their dashes cracking. Mm-hmm. That is a very expensive repair. Sure. And if you can get it done for free, might as well. Why wouldn't you do it? That's exactly. a no brainer, you know? And yeah, I don't understand because Nissan has the same problem and Dodge, my guy, has a worse oh, problem with that. And Chevrolet even has, yeah, even Chevrolet to a degree has that. Has and a none problem. of them ever recalled it. Nope. Only Toyota. Yeah. They're the only ones who stepped up to the plate on that particular instance. But, like I said, you always want to get the recalls at least checked sure. and see if they are something that amounts to something. And what you're going to find now, you may even receive a recall, and when you go, they may tell you, well, we haven't figured out the solution yet. Right. Which I don't know what that's about. I don't either. I, I've seen that happen. GM did that a while back. They had a big recall. No solution on file. Right. No solution. Yeah, I know. You so got, got a recall. How, how does that work? I you guess know, does highway, it get them out of the legality part of it? I guess highway traffic says you got to do this, so they got to do it. But even though they don't have, and they just say we don't have a fix right now, and then they buy them some time, is my supposition without I, knowing anything about it. I don't know. I feel it's a way for them to get out of the legal part. You know, I'm sure. Hey, we got a problem with this vehicle. Yeah, Quit driving it. Yeah, don't drive the vehicle. Okay. So, so you, you go put got an a, alternative vehicle? <laughs> right. You've got a $50,000 vehicle here you can't yeah. drive. So what well, are you supposed to do? Well, 55000 more will give you one that, yeah. <laughs> that yeah, hasn't yeah, we'll on yet. <laughs> <laughs> Easy peasy. There you go. <laughs> but 
Yeah, the same thing when all the airbags were being recalled several right. years ago. It, they didn't have enough airbags available. To go around, right. So many, many people had to ride around with the airbags turned off or whatever for a year's time. Correct. And like I said, I guess it's a way to get them out of the legality of it. Hey, we're telling you this is a problem. Yeah, we're telling you. you don't drive it. Yeah. So I don't it, know. Yeah, it, it, it leaves it back to the, the vehicle owner then. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Yeah, we were talking a little bit about the bigger engines, smaller engines, right. and reasons for buying one and another. And we touched on the fact that a smaller engine that makes a lot more horsepower is probably going to need more maintenance sure. than an engine. It's working harder. It is. Another thing about maintenance, you have to remember the maintenance schedule that comes from the manufacturers. What's happened, for whatever reason, over the last several years is that a lot of the companies that rate vehicles one of the things they're looking at now is how much maintenance is required. The lower the maintenance required, the higher the rankings they give the vehicle. Right. The better the vehicle looks. So what they do is they, they're not going to look at this vehicle beyond 100,000 miles anyway. But if you can cut that down, it makes your vehicle look more maintenance-free. Sure. And people buy based on that. Free, so right. anything that people are willing to buy, it doesn't matter if we trade the long-term future off completely on the vehicle. If it's destroyed at 100,000 miles... That was that not, was not our problem. That was what it was designed for anyway. Yeah, not our problem. We says hundred thousand mile life, and that's what you got. And anything after that, yeah. But a lot of folks, for any number of reasons, just can't afford to buy a new car every hundred thousand miles. Well, I know you. You're in the same boat I oh, am. Absolutely. You know, I've got a. You've got an O2. I've got an O6, mm-hmm. and I'm not ever planning on getting rid of it. Well, I try. I hope my truck will take me to the end of the road. There you go. I'm not ready to drive any longer. Even my new car that I just bought, I mean, I've already got over 10,000 miles on it. I hadn't had it by four five, months, yeah. four or five months. I've already got 10,000 miles on it. So so it's going to get on up there. It's going to get up really fast. And, you know, I don't want to have to throw this car away at 100,000 miles. Sure. I haven't gotten my money's worth out of it. A car, to me, is nothing more than a way to get from point A to point B. Right. My prestige isn't tied up in this car. I'm not trying to impress anybody. All I want to do is get, get from, from point, point A, a to, to point B, B reliably. Right. And so, therefore, if I'm driving an O2, if I'm driving a 16-year-old truck, I really don't care. Right. You know, if, if someone looks down on me because of that, I really don't care about their opinion anyway. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I think it makes me look pretty darn smart. There you, you know? go. But it just depends. If you are leasing a car and you're going to turn it in in three years, that's one set of operating conditions. Right. And you may not be concerned about how long it lasts. Well, and, and on the other hand of that, that vehicle has to be in a certain condition. Well, it can't be knocking you, or transmission right up. when you trade it when you so, get ready to end the lease. But if you will at least follow the their maintenance schedule, their recommendations, it's going to make it for the thirty five, forty thousand miles you got on it. You can trade it in, and you really don't care what happens beyond that. That's right. fine. I have no problem with that. If you can afford to go and buy a new car every hundred thousand miles, you can pretty much follow their maintenance schedule. Right. You have a higher risk of problems because we're seeing Ford products coming in almost every day with transmission problems at 80 and 90,000 miles. Well, GM vehicles with engine trouble engine at problem. that same mileage. Uh, that's right. A lot of the, like I said, displacement on demand, like Jim was asking about, uh-huh. one of the trays will get hard because they all hadn't been changed enough. The lifter will flip around in there. Well, now the It whole, collapses and the engine starts yeah, the running The heads bad. have to come off the motor, has to come completely apart. So now you got a third, you know, $30,000 repair. You're Easy. not ever going to save enough money on all changes to make up that one repair. And that's only if you're lucky enough that that lifter just spun around one time and stopped. And didn't tear the cam up. And didn't eat the up. cam up. If it ate the cam up. Now you're into a new motor. Basically. Exactly. 
But a new engine. Same thing with, with lots of stuff like that, transmissions and everything else. Right. The point is there are far fewer items on the maintenance schedule. They are pushed out way, way further than they used to be. But those items that are on that maintenance schedule are absolutely critical. Sure. You can't just say, well, I'm not going to do that right now. Well, you can, but well, you yeah. almost surely will have. I mean, your odds of a problem go from maybe 3 to 5% up to, up to 50 to 80% sure. when you don't do the maintenance items because it's already an absolute blue sky maximum. Extended maintenance, yeah. I saw a car the other day, and they said go 10 years on the engine coolant. Now, how depleted uh, do you right. think that coolant is in 10 years? I mean, after 5, it's already at, at 5, at we're, we're checking the pH, and it's at 7. That right. means it's totally neutral, which means it has no more reserve alkalinity. By 10 years, this stuff is acidic. It's oh, yes, already attacking all the metal in the car. Well, sure, it's a throwaway vehicle. Well, and you can't get rid of You can't drain 100% no, you out. you can't. So you're going to get probably 60 to 70%, depending on how thorough you are. Right. But you can have 30%, 100% depleted coolant in this engine. So, therefore, when you remix, when you put the new coolant it's in, you're going to deplete, you're going to... If you'd have changed it at five years, like you should have, then what was left in there wasn't 100% depleted. What remained is still probably okay. Right. It wouldn't have messed the mixture up. It's just, if you have to err, you want to err to the side of caution. Of course. Where the gamble is such that you're going to lose thousands of dollars to gain, you know, you, you're you're gambling pennies against hundreds or thousands of dollars. It just is not a good gamble. And you know me, I'm an odds player. I don't carry a lot of insurance because I manage my risk. Right. I look at a risk and I say, okay, what's the likelihood it's going to occur? How much is it going to cost? Can I afford that? Yes, I can. I don't have to insure. Mm-hmm. Now, when I'm looking at liability insurance on my car, okay, it's not likely to happen, but the odds, if this could be a million-dollar lawsuit. I cannot come up with a million dollars. Sure. When I look at an extended warranty, okay, a big repair is going to be three or four thousand dollars. You know, it's going to make me mad, but it's not going to wipe me out. I do not have to insure that. Mm-hmm. So you just have to look: can you afford the risk, and what are the risks? Now, when you're looking at something like a transmission service, which on average is maybe two hundred dollars, right? And the ramification of not doing it is, is eight thousand. Yeah, four to eight thousand dollars. Then that's really not a very good gamble particularly when your odds of a problem go up exponentially sure. when you don't do it. Now, most of the maintenance schedules today will tell you around 100,000 miles on a transmission service. Sure. I changed mine at 50. Right. Now, admittedly, I do own an automotive shop, but you know what? I still change mine at 50,000 because I've seen the difference between going to 50 and going, and going to 100. 100. Right. At very, very most, if you're very easy on the car, I would maybe push it out to 75. And that is, that's that's starting to accumulate a lot more risk. It's just the risk outweighs the reward Mm -hmm. at some point. I mean, you can go to the casino and play craps. Oh, yeah. And you got a big reward there. But you got a lot of risk. Very, very (laughs) little chance you're going to get it. Exactly. (laughs) Let's go back to our phone lines with Herb. Good morning, Herb. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I want to ask you a question, and I can't think of the darn name of it because I. I had my brain worked on it, and I messed up a bit of it. But anyhow, the Ford you was talking about, it's got trans- double double clutch transmission. Yeah, and you was talking about one the other day. Mine's got about fifty three or 4,000. I was thinking about getting it, was fixing to get it changed. Mm-hmm. let y'all change the fluid and all that. And then I said, well, this darn thing ain't going to last. Well, why waste my money on it? But what do you think about it? Do y'all think I ought to get the transmission going and change it? Because they don't drive it very much. Well, that's about the only thing you can do to try to prevent a problem, Herb. I mean, you know, it's, it's like everything else in life. Not everyone fails. 
it's just a higher percentage than I think is acceptable seem to have problems, and the cost of repair mm-hmm. is excessive. But, I mean, if you can have it serviced and lower your odds of failure, you just got to kind of weigh it out like we were talking about before. It doesn't cost that much to service, and it does greatly lower the odds of it. It doesn't eliminate the problem. But what we're seeing on a lot of them is the valve bodies wear out because you have a steel valve and an aluminum valve body, and if you get contamination in the fluid or the fluid breaks down, these valves are being pulsed. It's not like the old off-on days where you had a solenoid. They've got a pulse-width modulated valve, so it moves constantly. It wears the valve body out. Fluid starts bypassing the valve, and that's when the transmission goes south. So if you keep a cleaner fluid and a fluid with all the additives intact, you're going to do a whole lot better as far as that problem. Now, that can't prevent an electrical problem. If an electrical servo goes out, it's just going to go out. Or if a gear breaks, it's just going to break. That's design issues. You can't prevent those. But it will definitely increase your odds of a problem, a problem on a lot of factors. So, I mean, to answer your question, unless you plan on getting rid of the car before 60,000 miles, I would probably recommend go ahead and service it. Okay. Well, I am not don't want to get rid of it because it's just clean as you clean as a pen. I don't mm-hmm. go nowhere but around town and New Orleans. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I would probably go ahead and have that service just to increase my odds. You can't say it's going to wipe out the odds completely. You know, I had a guy tell me one time, well, I service this thing every 50,000 miles and a solenoid broke. went out or a gear broke. Well, yeah, that can happen. You know, yeah. if, if they didn't weld that reaction shell right when they built the transmission, you can change fluid every day. It's yep. still going to break at some point when it gets loaded enough. Or if this solenoid wasn't wound exactly right or insulated exactly right, it could still burn out, you know, regardless of whether you service it. It's just going to greatly decrease the odds of a lubrication-related problem, which are the majority of problems. Okay. Well, I'll be checking my doctor's schedule, and then I'll set something up with you then. Sounds good. Thank you, then. All right, Herb, All right. Thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. All right. Take our last little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Welcome. I am the great fondue, automobile fortune teller. Sit. I'm hoping you can tell me if I have any big car repairs looming in my future. Ah, I see you among many cars, stopping and going. Yeah, Baton Rouge traffic. Now you're making a left turn. Hands, ten and two. Nice form. Uh, thanks? Now you're stopped at a light. Look, you're just naming things I do every day. I want to know if my car is going to break down anytime soon. If you're hoping to gaze into your car's future, Agco suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection. Agco gives you an honest opinion on the maintenance needed to keep your car running and save you money on big repairs in the future. Craig Fondue, you should try another profession instead of a car fortune teller. Well, I was a mechanic at one of those quickie lube places, and believe me, I'm actually a better fortune teller. Well, that's scary. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive question you may have. Why don't you give us a call? Our number is 291-6901, and we still got few minutes left we can get your question answered for you but you happen to miss your opportunity this morning you can always visit our website which is agcoauto.com that is a g c o a u t o.com there's a contact bar on each and every page click the button little form's going to pop up just general information about the vehicle we're working on and your complaint send it on in 
There you go. Couldn't be any easier than that. And I'll get announced back to you within 24 hours, sometime sooner if I happen to be depending near on, a computer. Depending <laughs> on part of the, what day it is and That's uh, right. where you're at. That's right. Well, some days I just kind of get caught up. Generally, in during the week, I'm at home, uh-huh. and I'll check my email first thing in the morning. And I try to check it late in the afternoon, but sometimes I just don't get to it. But right. within 24 hours, every single time, and sooner a lot of times. And so. Should you happen not to get an answer back, check your return address because if it's typed wrong yeah make sure you typed it in correctly because if there's a wrong character or whatever in there or if you put a dot com instead of a dot net or something like that i'm not gonna be able to send it to you when i hit the button it's just gonna bounce back at right. me also check your spam folder because a lot if you have your security settings real high and they see a server that sends out a lot of email they may consider it as spam and just and automatically put it automatically in that folder. put it in the trash folder so Check your trash folder, particularly if you have a commercial email account. Like if you're, let's say we have a lot of guys in Baton Rouge that work at Exxon uh-huh. and or work at LSU. Those are large commercial servers. Right. And they have higher security settings than those. So if you send it from work, it may go to a spam folder. It may not get in. It may even get blocked in sure. some cases. So always check those things. I don't ever ignore an email. Every single one gets an answer. So if you hadn't received it, there's generally a reason. We were talking just a second ago about how even if you do the maintenance, you can have a problem. What it does is decreases the odds of the problem. And every time you start talking about somebody's going to pop up and say the converse of that, which is I never maintained mine and I never had a problem. Well, you got lucky. Sure. And some people are going to get lucky. There are people who are 300 pounds overweight, drink, smoke, carry on, and live to be 85, 90 years old. Sure. It's just they got lucky. Maybe they had a cast iron constitution. And you can't count the non-occurrences. They may have lived to be 110 if they hadn't done that. <laughs> who knows? You can't count the non-occurrence. But there are people who do not take care of their cars and don't have problems. They just got lucky. Just got lucky. But the vast majority, it's sort of like any statistic. If I take one, then it's really not a very good. A sample of one is not an indication of anything. Let's say we've got a young man here and he's 50 years old both his parents died in their 50s of natural causes that doesn't mean he's going to die at 50 he may live to be 100 Mm -hmm. it just means his odds of dying are higher now he may die before that he may die after that he it's just if we take 250,000 people whose parents both died at 50 then you're going to see a definite movement that way it doesn't mean every single one will be that way, just like it doesn't mean every single car is going to react the same way. Some of them, everything just happened to get put together oh, yeah. exactly right on this car. Yeah, I've owned one. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it, it got drove hard, put up wet. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it just lasted. And it, it's still running today. That's right. But for the most part, if you take care of your car, you are going to greatly diminish the odds exactly. far in excess of the money you spend on maintenance. And we've said a million times, the definition of maintenance is something you spend that doesn't cost very much that prevents something that costs a whole lot. Now, if that's not the definition, then it's not maintenance. <laughs> you know, you have places that try to sell you a fuel injection flush right. or a lower crankcase flush or, or all those sorts of things. Those are not maintenance because no. they do not drastically decrease the odds of a problem and they cost disproportionate to the benefit. So that is not something you want. They're a great disservice to the public. Sure. Not only do they do no good, but they, but they sap could, away dollars that could be spent on something that does do good. And they could cause a problem. And in many cases, they can cause a problem, like with transmission flushes and all that. Right. They create a problem. So these are things you have to know the difference, follow the schedule, 
base it on your usage. Realize that schedule is to get you 100,000 miles and no, no more. more. And you're way better off to air slightly towards the shorter side than you are to push it out to the maximum. I see we're just about out of time. I'm going to start winding on up, getting ready to get on out of here. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be. Find a written review and fill it out for us. There you go. If you see a written review on there, you can fill it out. What it does is that when folks type in a generic term like auto repair, we'll pop up close to the top of the list so more people click on us. More people click on us, the higher our ratings. The longer, our ratings, the, the longer it'll let us hang around here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you start having a one, a one rating, chair, yeah. yeah, they're going to pretty much bump you to boom. the bottom of the list. That's right. That's give, it. give you the boot. There you go. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Thank you.